0: Hi I'm Kate and I'm Mandy and this is
1: Love Sober, the podcast for the Sober and
0: the Sober Curious. Hi there and welcome back to Love Sober for the Sober and Sober Curious and um, so today we're delighted to have a special guest with us. Um, which is Ruby Warrington, the author of the very successful Sober Curious book and also Material Girl, Mystical World, which I haven't read yet, but I'm really excited to get. I think it's coming out in paperback soon. So um, yeah, I'll look forward to that. So Ruby is joining us from uh, New York. Um, So morning for you and evening for us. Is that correct? (laughs) Well, it's
2: around lunchtime. So if my stomach. Tummy rumbles in the background. You know what
1: that's all about, yeah. Yeah, it's about dinner time for me as well, so I might be doing right. that as well.
0: <laughs> uh, so normally at the beginning, we kind of check in and say hi to each other, and then we'll get on to sort of talking about your work um, in the sober community. So, how are you at the moment? What's been going on? Doing, How's the weather? Really
2: good. Um, the weather is beautiful here. We've kind of come into. Um, coming to my favorite sort of season in New York, so late spring into early summer is mm. when the sun just, it, it, it's so sun, there's so much sunshine, you know, compared to the UK where I'm from originally, originally, as you can hear from my accent. Um, and it's, you know, the, the winters here are pretty brutal, but then you get a really nice payoff of these lovely kind of like sunny summers. So yeah. Mm. And how, how long actually, have you been in, uh, in New York? I've been in New York for seven and a half years now. Okay. Cool. So, I'm starting to feel like quite a long time. I was yeah. going to
1: say, do you feel like a native New Yorker yet? I want to burst I into song. There, there are various um,
2: there are various schools of thought, but mm-hmm. yes, yeah, seven years is one of the is the first sort of. Um, this first sort of landmark towards making it to native to i don't know about native but to, to new york official new york yeah status. right cool so, yeah some people say 10 years though so i kind of feel like 10 years is more it like i still hmm. are definitely there are still parts of new york i haven't visited in seven years yeah. that i've been you know so i feel like i need a few more years under my belt
0: <laughs> well it's the same as london right you're not gonna yeah. i mean there's certainly like
2: I haven't been to every part of London either, so. Oh, my goodness. I mean, London's twice the, it feels twice the size. I mm. think in terms of people, it's probably around the same size. But in terms of land mass, you know, London, when I visit now, just feels so huge and mm. sprawling and so like, and so slow. <laughs> it's really funny. Like, honestly, going to London for a week feels like spending a week in the country. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> which I know is crazy because obviously London is one of the busiest, most mm. hectic, like, cities in the world also, but New York, the energy here, it's true what they say. It really does feel like the city that never sleeps. Mm. And it's certainly, um, yeah, you can't can't escape the kind of, the the rat race mentality in a way, which Mm. can be extremely stimulating and very exciting and things happen very, very quickly here. Mm. But it can also be really overwhelming. So I have to, part of my self-care is making sure I get out of the city on a regular basis. And I visit back in the UK about four times a year for a good Mm -hmm. long stint.
1: so I really you know I've
2: tried very hard I'd rather put a lot of effort into maintaining my UK connections Mm -hmm. and UK life you know I still it's always going to be my home so yeah Mm -hmm. I'm just really grateful grateful to be able to both of the cities home now you know that's a massive privilege and um, I don't take it lightly
0: yeah yeah for sure okay so we wanted to talk to you obviously because um part of our title from the beginning when we started this podcast was uh, the sober curious because I think there are a lot of well I think it sums up perfectly that there are a lot of people that sit at home or sit in the office or sit wherever they are like asking themselves that question like is this serving me like does this feel good am I enjoying drinking and and do I want to continue drinking and it doesn't necessarily have to be that kind of rock bottom, everything going wrong situation. Um, you know, I have no sort of, um, what's the word illusion of where my drinking was going, but I certainly wasn't a dependent drinker. You know, I didn't have Mm -hmm. to stop with medical intervention, but it was something that was making me feel bad. And Mm -hmm. so, um, we really wanted to get you on, obviously, to talk about your book and to really talk about those elements of, um, sort of emotional intelligence about um, how we can face things without alcohol, um, to talk about uh, joy and happiness, uh, and also to talk about um, your own sort of experiences with being sober. So um, yeah, we're really delighted. So I just wanted to check in with you, Kate. How are you doing before
1: we start? Um, yeah, I'm all right. Like I said, I'm fighting the good fight. Feels like a <laughs> long old battle at the moment, to be honest. Aww. But you know what? I, you know, I'm really excited to talk to Ruby today as well because I know you and I talk pretty much every day, don't we, Mandy? We do. And, and I'm all. Well, I say, you know, one of the things that being sober has given me, despite when. Life feels a bit shit and and you know like I've got a lots of stuff going on with the family at the moment. Is that ability that kind of resilience and that ability to spot and um capture those moments of kind of joy and likeness and i and a really good friend of mine wrote a lovely book called The Little Book of Wonder as well and that you know like being able to spot and catch it's almost like catching a fairy it's like you you can you can do that maybe it's just because you're not numbed out so I'm all right you know I'm all right and and yeah to bring it back to Ruby again I'm really excited to sort of dig deeper into that um and Mandy how are you (laughs) (laughs)
0: um I am okay thanks yeah um I had a slight incident with uh someone today um I, I'm sure you've both experienced this but um I went to I wasn't gonna go but then I was like right I'm gonna go I went to have lunch with a group of women that I don't know very well and my kind of mutual friend was supposed to be there but then she had to work so she didn't come and um and so you know they were having a glass of wine or a beer and I I didn't say anything I just like had a glass of water and then at the end they were like having a cigarette after with their coffee and I said oh no thanks I don't smoke anymore and then someone else said oh yeah and you don't drink alcohol either do you and I was like no and this woman that I've never met before just turned around and was like so like what are you an alcoholic I was just like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, was just like uh... I was like but I mean I was so sort of shocked and because it was in French it wasn't my like you know native language I couldn't sort of I just was so shocked. I kind of got stuck and I wish now I've got loads of like things to say, but at the time I just sort of, I just jarred and was like, um, and yeah, so I'm kind of a little bit angry, a little bit frustrated, a little bit sad, a little bit like, it's that feeling of of when someone else makes you feel vulnerable about something. Um, and yeah, so it just felt, it was just unexpected and, and, now i wish that i'd you know sort of i don't know there's loads of things i could have said <laughs> yes are you um,
1: <laughs> i can think uh, of a few things <laughs> yeah. and she's a, and
0: she's a nurse as well which was just like oh really it was just it just felt i more than anything i just find it very disrespectful to every person that's ever sort of struggled with any sort of you know um issues you know more than me because I'm I'm quite good at I'm quite strong do you know what I mean but it could have it could have pushed someone that was in a vulnerable situation to feel really bad about themselves um so
2: anyway Mm.
0: that's my little thing today but other than that I'm
2: you know (laughs) great yeah (laughs) (laughs) so well it's just all the more reason to be having Mm. these kinds of conversations right I think that's just a really great example of how little outside of the outside of aa and recovery you're thinking about drinking in that way or stopping drinking in that way there's so little conversation mm. around it. Was it. Just There's like so like, little I'm, language. There's so little... It was it was interesting. Kind of like, how did
0: you get from me not like having a glass of wine mm. with my lunch to me being an alcoholic? It was like how, the, the leap was so
1: huge. Mm. It was just like... It's huge what? for us because we've been talking about it and we've been exploring yeah. and unpicking mm. the language, which is exactly. one of the reasons we do the podcast. And, Ruby, I know that you talk in your, your book um, and so I'm curious about sort of challenging that... And those, you know, the dominant drinking culture and those kind of binary definitions. Do you, do you want to tell us a bit about that? Your, will take sure. it. Sure. I mean,
2: that's the kind of the whole mission of So the Curious, really. And the whole reason I came up with that term was to create um, a languaging around the decision not to drink that kind of could incorporate or encapsulate every, every different experience, you know? I think that, yeah, for so long, we've had this very binary idea and myself included. When I first started questioning my drinking eight, nine years ago, the the question that kept coming up was like, "Okay, I'm questioning it. That means Hmm. I'm an alcoholic. Am I an alcoholic? What? That doesn't feel like it applies to me and my truth and my story. By the time I got to a couple of AA meetings, like five years after that, I realized, no, I'm I'm not an alcoholic. This is not what I'm hearing shared here is not a reflection of my story or my journey or the way I feel about alcohol, the way I've used alcohol, the situations alcohol has got me into. It just wasn't. And it's became very increasingly obvious that there needed to be a more expansive way to discuss this Mm. substance, which it it impacts all of our lives, whether it's us personally, family members, our friendship groups, all of our lives are impacted by it. and it impacts every area of our life as well, you know, from work to relaxation to, like you said, our emotional life to our physical well-being. Like, it's literally interwoven in everything yeah. we do in Western society, certainly. And so it just seemed very, very um, limiting to me to to keep talking about it or thinking about it in those very binary terms. So Sober Curious was kind of um, an invitation to really, for, for anybody Mm. to question or get curious about their drinking yeah whatever questions those might be you know from am I an alcoholic to why does why does my dad drink so much or do you know what it's like why do we as a society drink so much if you want to kind of zoom out Mm. so that's really the whole mission and then the kind of like the deeper the deeper mission that's emerged actually only after the book has come out and I've been talking to more more people about it is that really I think And I think you guys and many people in this space are on the same tip it's to make it as normal not to drink as it is to drink which oh, just yeah. is is not the case in our dominant mm-hmm. drinking culture. It's interesting to hear you met you know you, you're the, you're based in France where I think we have this kind of like romantic idea as the french have like got it down. They never get drunk, they have one or two glasses of wine and I think for a lot of people that's kind of like this ideal of mm-hmm. like how we could how we should be able to drink if we were like you know had proper restraint and could like control and it's just, I don't know, I think what I would I'd be very interested to hear your experiences of the French drinking culture and whether that's yeah, actually mean, true or whether you think that as many people are drinking as habitually and perhaps as um, with as many prob- problematically as we do in the UK. Although a big study just came out last week, didn't it? But surprise, surprise, Britons are the biggest drinkers in the world. Mm, <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, I mean, we, we we have talked about this before and and certainly like i think um that's where i got confused because Mm. i came to france you know i've lived in france for over 10 years and i Mm. arrived from a binge drinking british you know um 90s ladette drinking culture where i drank with the boys and was very proud to drink like the boys and we got you know drunk wasted (laughs) fucked mashed smashed whatever (laughs) um every weekend um, and that was the mission, you know, like let's get like absolutely wasted was our kind of mission for the weekend. Um, and that certainly was blindingly obvious when I first moved to France that, um, you know, people weren't doing that and especially women. Um, there was still this kind of like uh, decorum around alcohol. And I think, so I think the base routes are different. You know, they, they drink around food. Uh, they drink as celebratory I don't see as much kind of um, uh, depressed drinking as I do in the UK like it's not self-medicating as much Mm. Um, but for sure there's problems with alcohol because it's an addictive drug right so Mm. there's you know there are people that are drinking too much there are people that binge drink Over wine and and it Mm. becomes problematic. But I I think yeah, I think there is certainly an element of of that. What what I noticed too is that the French are very contained in a lot of things that they do. Obviously, I'm massively (laughs) generalising here, but you know, all the all the women that I you know I they they care a lot about their bodies. You know, they care a lot about sort of looking good. You know, they they exercise a lot. There's, I mean, huge problems with sort of anorexia and bulimia in France. There's a huge sort of other side of, mm. of that eating disorders. And there's a lot of body shaming that goes on. I got body shamed by my doctor the other day, which was nice. Oh, he, was like, <laughs> he was like, he was so, because I was saying I was really tired and stuff. And he was like, well, you know that I can see you've put on a bit of weight. And, you know, when you, you put on a bit of weight, then you get more tired <laughs> So, as much. So, there's other elements there. Do you know what I mean? So, I think yeah. um, they are very controlling,
2: but I don't think mm. that necessarily is healthy either. Interesting, um, but, and that I guess could be applied to drinking. Yeah, yes. very controlled yeah. mentality. Yeah. yeah, very interesting.
0: Yeah, mm. but I mean, the main difference for me. I mean, and and they, there is a lot of studies now, and there's a lot of concern about how. Because I used to be a university professor, so I used to work with young people um, and they were kind of modelling kind of American frat parties and they were modelling kind of British binge drinking. And it was like, you know, a real concern that because of uh, the Americanization of the world, you know, because the French are obviously quite... Um, on that, um, that they they're concerned that they're picking up those habits and the, and it hasn't been like that before and so that kind of thing of getting really wasted, um, mm-hmm. yeah. But they call it, it, it le binge it's, drinker. It's very much seen
1: as an Anglo-Saxon thing. But they call it le binge drinker, don't they? That, like, that's a really right. awful advert I mean, they... accent. <laughs> 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 but I get what you're saying. There isn't yeah. Actually yeah. It's for an Englishism. It. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what I'm really yeah. they um, call it point... le binge drinking. Yeah. So I, I'm really interested to talk to you about about an aspect of, of this as well in, in your book in that we were we were talking earlier about quite a lot of of the podcast. We sort of we do talk about, um, you know, getting through the tough days and, and parenting and we talk about the kind of changing our state with alcohol, you know, and then finding self-care strategies to not you know not self-medicate with it you know um and I was and I was really interested though to talk in your book about it it, it, you talk still about that that sort of state changing but almost like you you call it um getting high on your own supply and Mm -hmm. all the kind of ecstatic and joyful celebratory aspects of of sobriety um so I was wondering if you could kind of talk to us a bit about that
2: yeah, sure. I mean it's interesting that term self-medicating gets applied to alcohol and particularly problem drinking or what might be perceived as problem drinking. However, I think something that we don't really talk about often enough is what what kind of pleasure are we seeking? Like mm. We're actually seeking pleasure when we drink as well. And there is a pleasurable side to drinking, or we wouldn't enjoy it so much. We wouldn't ever get hooked on it in the first place if it wasn't pleasurable to us. I know it's an addictive substance, but there's the emotional dependency that comes from having a pleasurable release or having a pleasurable experience of bonding or laughing or kind of like, yeah, sort of that sense of freedom, I think, that a lot of us are drinking to experience. So for me equally important to looking at ways to kind of caretake ourselves when we're feeling down Mm. when we might be more inclined to um to lean on alcohol as a way to numb out or to kind Mm. of like ignore the feelings of sadness depression anxiety etc um I, it was really interesting when I first started really cutting back and like really properly quitting, I noticed that my cravings were actually stronger when I was happy,
1: Yes, and when I was
2: feeling naturally high and when I was feeling naturally good about myself, mm. I'd get much stronger cravings to drink. and i and I think this is part of the reason why I never kind of like even though I was a heavy drinker, I never veered into the kind of well, I'm going to put it in air quotes kind of alcoholic category. If I was stressed or depressed, the last thing I really wanted to do was drink. I never mm. drank as a way to kind of escape from negative feelings. Not never. That's probably a generalization. But mm. over overall, I was much more of a let's drink to enhance the good times. Let's drink to have more fun. Mm. And I remember when I first really told a friend, I was like, you know what? I think I'm done with it. I think this is it for me. She was just like, but bring. she's like, you only drink to have more fun. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. And I think we have that mentality as well, which is interesting, yeah. right? Because the fun... You know, drinking to have more fun still has all of the same negative consequences in terms of, you know, hangovers, addiction, um, mm. losing time, all the all the things. You know, so yeah, I think that a big part for me of sustaining my sobriety and really kind of answering all of my own sober curious and questions was about well, how can I enhance the? How what are the other ways mm. I can enhance the fun? Like yeah. how can I find more fun? Like if I'm feeling really naturally high, what kind of like what outlet and also what in what in me is so unused to feeling naturally high that my instinct is to kind of like suppress that Mm. or like because that you know alcohol is also obviously a depressant and so there was on the on the flip side of that wanting to enhance the fun I began to realize that when I was feeling naturally high it was almost like I had too much energy and I didn't have anywhere for it to go Mm. because I didn't have a creative outlet or I didn't have Friends that I really wanted to hang out with, or I didn't. I just was over energized. I hadn't. I I needed to physically move my body in ways. So I was actually also reaching for alcohol as a way to kind of like pull that high energy down to Mm. a level that was more manageable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you. So a big part of it, yeah, has been finding other ways to kind of like enhance the fun times and actually, um, yeah, have that have that as a focus Mm. in terms of the sober curious path you know
1: yeah I, I, I in, I'm interested in this because I um a couple of years I with my my sober journey I got very very upset on sober forums because I um yeah the language of you know certain negative language the binary sort of stuff that was still sort of a bit prevalent and I began to I think mm. a bit like you I was like I want to i i was very drawn to positive sparkly happy it's like i need something that's going to fit with those values of mine you know high Mm. eye. i'm like i need the sparkle i need the glitter i need the fun i need to clap my hands and go woohoo you know just like (laughs) do you know what i mean i'm like i don't want to feel (laughs) shit and serious all the time i really don't and um i studied the science of happiness i don't know if you've heard of it edx online no, so barclay and harvard so the new, leading neuroscientists and evolutionary theorists have come mm. on this amazing course studying what's right with us and what how we can affect our happiness it's like a certain percentage we can affect right i love that. and mm. it's interesting because you talk about those things in your book it's like connection oh, yeah. play flow creativity and and awe and wonder which i mm. love and it's saying well actually we have this kind of Deep need. And I really get that. I know some people kind of, I think my husband doesn't so much say, so, but I really do. I need to feel awe and wonder. I need to look at the night sky. I need to exhale. I need to feel joined yeah. up, you know, so. Or to feel magic. I mean, I magic, think when you yeah. think
2: about little kids, I often go back to like what well, kids don't need alcohol. <laughs> no, <laughs> they yeah. go through, they have bad days and they feel shit and they're crying and they're tantruming. And then it passes and they have good days when everything is joyful and all they want to do is play and laugh. And I'm like, okay, yes, you know, we we mature and we have different responsibilities that come in. And but I also think that so much of that natural kind of emotional expression from from running the range of kind of like darker emotions to really happy mm. emotions is kind of like, we're taught to hem it into these limited few kind of emotional states that are socially acceptable. And I think a lot of the time we're using alcohol to break out those limitations right. emotionally, mm. you know? Um, and so yeah, as much as it means kind of finding ways to really embrace or really kind of learn from I suppose the heavier emotions it's about really finding ways to lean into the more positive emotions and the happier emotions when they come up mm. but something all kids love magic all kids believe in magic and I'm like, yeah. I just think it's really sad that we we have that um kind of conditioned mm. out of us as well we're made to feel like it's immature or it's woo woo or it's weird to want to experience something that feels like magic and I think a lot of the time we we're using alcohol for that Together, Do you think? I mean yeah. it's literally like a magic potion <laughs>
1: Alice in wonderland. I mean it literally is
2: yeah. right? it's a magic potion you drink and all of a sudden you're like in this wonderland experience mm. and I think we all secretly are
1: craving that because yeah. our souls want that desire that mm. I, I mean yeah I I, I think um you just reminded me again of this, this book that my friend wrote about the little book of wonder and, and Mm -hmm. she wrote this, I haven't got, it's over the other side of the room, but it said something like, you know, we, we, and it reminded me when you said we crave that, it's like we carve our likenesses into mountains. We send rockets into space, you know, like Mm -hmm. words of magic as well. You know, what what, Mm -hmm. what we do, how we can change our minds with words and the storytelling. And, um, and and I think you br- you bring that out in your book that you you've you've broken it down into sections about okay if I need to feel excited yeah. do you want to talk a bit about <laughs> so the actual practical application of yeah I mean some I can't remember things. off
2: the top of my head what they all are but it's kind of like I was identifying the main things that yeah. I I personally used alcohol for and that I see other people using alcohol for it's like when I need to relax mm. when I want to celebrate when I am feeling tired depressed you know when I want to feel happier like I can't when I want to connect yeah and then it was all the different ways that I found in my life to kind of to experience those things without using the shortcut of alcohol. I think alcohol can be a real shortcut. I also talk about how we live in what I call the now age, which is kind of like the new age, but updated for now. (laughs) That relates more to my other book. Um, But in this now age, the the double meaning of that is that we live in this era of instant gratification, where we've also, again, been conditioned to believe that like, want to feel a certain way, take this pill, Mm. want to get this buy this thing, order it on Amazon it'll be with you tomorrow. Like this real culture of instant gratification. And we've kind of lost in a way, or we're losing our ability to work on things over time, to develop things over time. That goes for relationships, that goes for connection, that goes for intimacy, mm. that goes for all sorts of things, you know. And, and likewise, you know, we've been, we live in this culture that's kind of like, if you feel bad, that's bad and you must like change it as soon as possible. Whereas actually I'm like, all of our emotions are really valuable. They all have lessons for us. They all deserve equal, you know, space in our psyche. And really, you know, we mentioned earlier, um, emotional cultivating emotional intelligence and actually listening to our emotions and listening to what they have to say to us is really, really important.
1: Yeah. And I think that... Yeah, it, I think something. Sort of, sorry, go on, Mand. No, as something that I've started
0: noticing Um Talking to people and and this kind of disconnect, you know, because there 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 does seem to be certain things like perhaps trauma or perhaps, you know, um, a, a serious event or something that's happened or or a lack of that connection which has created that disconnect with people, mm-hmm. and it really is that sort of, um, you know, searching to find yourself again, and and I think that's what people find it hard to imagine it's like what well, you stop drinking and then you know you go on this massive journey of self-development and change but it's like for me it's been completely that because I didn't know who I was and all I had was this identity of of being a party girl and being a drinker and that's hid so much mm-hmm. but it also disconnected me in so many ways and I see that you know um and I think that's that that's the kind of problems that we are sort of facing in this now age you know that yeah um, how can we have that kind of not only are we dealing with sort of some serious traumas and but there is a social disconnect um, which is happening and we think we get it from this kind of uh, fake you know love connection through alcohol but when you step into that um, situation as a non-drinker you realise how little connection is actually happening between people. You know, it's mm. like repetition of conversation, shouting at each other. Mm. I went into a pub in London uh, last time I was home and I it was terrifying. It was just, it was absolutely <laughs> rammed and everyone was like shouting at each other. Like, I don't know how anyone could, you know, and I was just like, I can't, like, and so no wonder you like drink, do you know what I mean? No wonder I went straight to the bar and had two drinks <clears throat> because it was just like, I can't like the emotion mm, kind it's of painful. Yeah. It is like painful yeah. on the
2: senses to be in, in that kind exactly. of like really just overwhelming, like, overwhelming
1: environment.
2: Mm. And yeah, like you're right. It's the opposite of intimate connections. So often, you know, the number one question, like, he, I'm sure you guys hear this all the time. is like, oh my God, how, how am I going to socialize? How are my friends going to yeah. react? How yeah. is my partner going to react? So I think that's the number one thing. Because alcohol is such a short, we use it as such a shortcut to connection. And because it's so prevalent in our social lives, the immediate thing is the feeling like I'm going to be so left out. Everyone's going to think I'm a weirdo. I'm not going to have any friends anymore. Mm. <laughs> and it's interesting, like, obviously that's not what happens at all. But what what I have found to be the case with me is that the friendship side that have, that have remained, Because, of course, some friendships are going to fall away. You remove the substance. If there's nothing beyond the substance, then there's no friendship there. But the ones Mm -hmm. that have remained have become so much deeper, so much more intimate. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because I was discussing this with a friend the other day. It's almost like when we think, oh, we're going to have a deeper, meaningful conversation, get the wine in. I, I now can see how that would allow me to go so far in terms of opening up and being vulnerable. But there was still so much I kept was keeping hidden. There was still a, mm. a barrier I wasn't able to cross. Um, and so as much as I felt like we were having these kind of like deep conversations, there was still part of me that I was holding back, the most painful, the most shameful, the most guilty, the most exposing parts, I still didn't feel safe to share. Um, and the alcohol allowed me to kind of like ignore those parts and just kind of continue on with the surface, the more surface stuff and so i've really realized that in my friendships now it's going that extra 10% going down to that last 10% of vulnerability that's where the real connection happens and so the mm-hmm. the friendships i have now where i do share that way they're few and they're far between but they're like they they feel i feel like i I've, I've kind of bonded with these people at a soul level
1: in a completely mm-hmm. different
2: way you know so i'm so yeah people to have been able to experience that. And yeah, um, and, it, and it's, in, and it's gone on to impact other situations too. I feel much more comfortable about having the real talk with people now in business situations, in family situations. It doesn't always have to be the depths of my soul, but you know, i I'll, I'm very aware now of when I kind of like come up against a little edge and I'm like, Oh, that might be a bit much. <laughs> Whereas mm-hmm. I, I used to just kind of like, okay, we won't go there then. Now I'm like, okay, and if we go there, I know we're going to have a bit of a breakthrough. So deep breath, Um, woman up, let's go there, you know? And I think that that's, I talk in the book about something I call the confidence paradox, which is how so many of us drink to feel more confident And yet when we're outsourcing our sense of confidence to the substance of alcohol, we never get to develop our own inner self-confidence. And so having those kinds of conversations, it requires so much faith. It requires so much self-confidence that actually I've realized that being as a sober person, I feel so much more confident than I ever did as a drinker It's so Mm. interesting but I think for many of us you know we start drinking in our teens when possibly our confidence is at its lowest because we're desperate to fit in be liked we don't know what the future holds we've got all these hormonal things going on where bodies are changing and you're just a bit of a mess right we all (laughs) start drinking at that time and alcohol very easily becomes like where I get my sense of self and where I get my sense of confidence from And it's interesting, again, like a friend of mine got sober curious and has now found his way to AA and is really deeply in the program and loving the program. Um, And he said to me the other day, he's like, he's like, it's kind of what he's like, at times I feel like a teenager. And it's almost like part of him stopped developing part of his psyche stopped maturing when he started drinking to kind of paper over the cracks or kind of like fill in the gaps in terms of his confidence, in terms of the way he was relating to people, in terms of how he was dealing with, like, some of the traumatic things from his childhood. It's like part of his nervous system kind of froze in place. And now he's, in his recovery, going back to that place and kind of, like,
1: mm. putting
2: the puzzle pieces together. It's just super interesting, mm. I think. Yeah,
0: and I, I've definitely found that myself. And what what also I've noticed is that as a, as a society, we're so sort of um, obsessed with youth. That, you know, that. like yeah. we had, we we have this 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 idea that we have to kind of you know anything being an adult is kind of you know seen as as negative or you know when we, certainly when I became a mum it was like I was supposed to be you know young still looking cool like still going yeah. partying with my mates but being a good mum and having a career and you know there was this really negative side of anything that was to do with being mature you know. But mm. there's so much beauty about sort of wisdom, you know, and like I, I I, finally I finally trust myself and I finally like, you know, do things I feel proud of. And I like being an adult, like I like sort of growing older. I, I enjoy mm. that process and that's normal. Like, And that had to, have, you know, in therapy be sort of spelled out to me that it was just like, you know, Stop blaming yourself for everything you did when you were eighteen. You know, come on, like that—that that mm. was your teenage years, right? You know, what happened was there was this mashup of that uh, when you became a parent that you got lost. You know, and you didn't know you didn't know who you, you you were supposed to be anymore. And a lot of that was to do with with alcohol. And you know, you wanted to be mum. That's what you wanted to be. That was the best job and the most important job for you. But you didn't know how to get there and you didn't know how to let go of, you know, being that teenage person. Because I thought that's who I had to be, like, forever. Mm, mm, mm.
1: Um, yeah, but you know, we've talked we about that, for- that, haven't we, and said that actually, you know, it is an unholy shock. And it is a massive transition. And so you've got that, okay. who the fuck... You know, what the fuck just happened to me who am I and also <laughs> so you have that's real and if you've been using it alcohol as well you are going to go this feels really really but really uncomfortable what do I do with those feelings well I'm going to have a glass of wine and so exactly, enough, yeah. and, and I know that for quite a few people you know like you have that kind of period when you're uh, in pregnancy where you how many people went? Oh, I've just proved I haven't got a problem because I didn't drink during it. Yeah, and then it was like, yeah. oh my god, back with the vengeance. <laughs> and, um, you know. So and, and and that that thing you were saying, Ruby, earlier about the, you know, that quick fix, that shortcut, and actually, mm. and and at that point, I was thinking about that sort of cult of youth and things taking time. Like, oh, it's a life's work, isn't it? Like, all of this shit, every single bit of it is a life's work. It really (laughs) is. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Life is work. And we forget
2: that. Yeah. You know, we're taught Mm. that there is work, and that's where we earn our money, and then there is life. And I think it's very interesting, particularly in the UK, when I think back at my drinking days, literally any time I wasn't working, I was drinking.
1: Hmm. or not
2: quite because I was never you know again I never drank more than two or three nights in a row so I didn't have a problem Hmm. but pretty much like down tools and pick up glass I mean that's kind of how we operate and I think part of this sober curious path is embracing like all of life is work Hmm. and there are many different ways I use my day there are many places I do my work in my life um and actually getting okay with that you know making it Hmm. like taking taking the kind of like the pressure or the the negative associations with work off mm. and being like yeah I'm here to do my work you yeah. know <laughs>
1: and what is and I and you know um why we spoke last p- podcast about um Holly Whittaker um mm. of the Tempest and mm. she'd said something on this webinar last week that I absolutely loved and I'm just put it encapsulated it really nicely where she said you know it was really we are the luckiest because we, you know, there's some kind of, because we had a crisis or this point that actually this doesn't work, it necessitated this kind of unavoidable self-development, mm. so, which are gifts, which is like massive, and it doesn't feel like that at the beginning, and it can be really confronting and really frightening. But actually, over time, this kind of upwards, upward spiral, upward self-esteem, mm-hmm. the increased confidence, you know, sort of sort of happens, and... Um, I've completely forgotten my point (laughs) well you're just reminding me you
2: used the word word resilience when we were um, when you were sort of introduced setting this all up and that's a word I come back to all the time and it goes back again to if you've been teaching your brain since age 14 Mm. many people younger that what I do when the going gets tough is I drink you haven't really developed that kind of inner reserve of resilience or even the um, the sort of Capability of understanding that oh yeah something difficult happens, it feels tough and we get through it and we're fine. Like that's the natural process of life. Something mm. tough happens, we find support, we find tools, we deal with it and we move on and we're fine. We're not really taught. We don't we're not taught to embrace that process. We're mm. taught something tough happens medicate the fuck out of it run away pretend it didn't happen don't talk about it and just wait until like it's all okay again Mm -hmm. that's kind of how we're set up (laughs) whereas Mm -hmm. actually it's a natural we develop resilience through going through the walking through the fire we walk through the fire we tough we develop the resilience to deal with what life throws at us you know Mm -hmm. and so yeah I think that the the sober path the sober curious path is really about that understanding that we are very we're we're way more resilient than our society and our culture would like us to believe actually Mm. we have way much we have a way higher pain threshold we have way a way deeper capacity for actually overcoming life life's Mm. difficulties
1: and compassion and connection oh are vital parts of
2: that process yeah Yeah. but
1: i I mean i think that that we have a a great capacity you know like i went said about this science of happiness Mm. that totally flipped my thinking because Again, the the evolutionary theory. So i had been harbouring this kind of thought that oh, we're, this sort of Machiavellian kind of thought that we're all a bit of a bastard really underneath, and we're we're just kind of <laughs> out to manipulate. We're it. all just we're ruining everything. Yeah, yeah, we're ruining everything. And um, and it's that actually, you know, what has made us survive is not this competitive thing, but it's our pro-social capacity it's our capacity to organize ourselves ourselves, to nurture our young to grow and to create communities and I remember saying to a friend of mine that I literally had, it was like the scales fell away from my eyes because I walked into town instead of being like, about people, I saw someone <laughs> helping an old lady across the road. I saw a mum smile at her child. And suddenly I saw everyone connecting pretty much oh. all the time. And I was like, fuck, I've been really thinking something else you know and I find that interesting that you said I wonder you know that'll get me all conspiracy theorist really about you know we're we're (laughs) actually far more powerful far more resilient far more able to connect we you know there is a lot of fear in the whole thing you know keeping it down you know even think about our political system
2: we're taught competition, we're taught you take a side and you stick with it and they are evil and we are—we know what's right. It's bullshit, like we're all in this together and I think we're seeing that more and more in a way, you know, how we're kind of pitted against each other by our society, by our culture and that absolutely plays into this whole conversation as well. Mm. Well that is the the good side mm. of social media, isn't it? I mean there's lots of negative
0: sides but you know mm-hmm. essentially it- um the activism and the community and the things because I was just thinking to myself I was I was because I've had a couple of hard days I'm doing EMDR therapy at the moment which is Fucking tough. Uh, so when people talk about me, be, like re- resilience, I'm like, I I don't really want to be resilient right now. Like I oh, quite like a
1: cuddle. Oh, um, yeah.
0: So so I was kind of thinking about people that might be listening to this that are really struggling. Um, you know, at the beginning, and they're so broken, and they're so they feel so alone. And you know, I was I was just kind of thinking like, how do how do those people reach out and and get connection or reach out and get that resilience, you know, because I mean, I remember, Mm. thank, thank God, sort of I found Soberistas and that was kind of where Kate and I met. Mm. Um, I mean, I guess there is that thing of just keep searching out for like a community that, that suits you.
2: Well, again, that's why I'm so grateful that there are more conversations like this happening because I think so Mm. much of that, feeling of helplessness or hopelessness comes from not not like feeling like you're alone and I think one of the reasons yeah. the AA is so successful for many people and so valuable is that it offers that kind of group support in a very structured um complete and, and it's free you know it's free for mm-hmm. anyone anywhere around the world can find a group of people who have likely experienced a lot of what they've experienced so I think it's brilliant from that perspective and I think the more the more we can actually talk about these things and the more we can extend a hand to people we may see struggling. Um, mm. yeah, hopefully the more people won't feel like they're so alone or so helpless. Mm. And then I just always come back to, you know, not pouring alcohol on the problem <laughs> can yeah. only ever be a good thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, no, you're so right. You know, mm. I mean, on like truly just always bringing it back to that, like, it would be so much worse if I was hungover, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah,
0: <it's> so <laughs> yeah. true, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we've we've been through a few things. Well, I mean, shit happens, do you know what I yeah. mean? And yeah. it is. It's mm-hmm. always that thing. It's like, thank God I'm sober.
2: Like, thank God mm-hmm. I've
0: got that yeah. anchor to like exactly.
2: keep stuff together. Exactly. Um, and I mean, I do think things like meditation and yoga as well, which are becoming more and more accessible are very valuable although also i appreciate if someone's you know having a a ptsd episode or are feeling alone then sometimes even a meditation practice can be a little destabilizing Mm. so it's i think always community human connection is always the number one thing yeah 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 Yeah, i've I've actually uh
1: yeah go on no i was just gonna say yeah that i mean for me too, finding Soberistas, that was the number one because what it did was it created a space for them, me, to... It was like peer mentoring. It was like we, you yeah. know, we could work it out together. We could have the chat. We could have the conversation. And once we could have the conversation, then we could work out what it meant. I could work out what it meant to me. And it was right. it was that space and that forum. So I, I'd agree, I think, that support, that connection is probably the the number one isn't it it's the number one and it's the
2: simplest thing Mm -hmm. it's the simplest thing whenever I I host retreats fairly regularly and we always focus a lot on storytelling and a lot on sharing because actually hearing each it's almost like uh, even so for example I used to have when I was a drinker problems sleeping (laughs) I know many people can relate to this, waking up at three in the morning, monkey mind, just racing, all the anxiety, all right there. And my thing would be get up and write it all down. Like whatever's in my head, just write it down. It almost was like kind of, my friend calls it word vomit. She's like, (laughs) just vomit it all onto a page, (laughs) get it out of your head. And invariably it would calm me down and I'd go back to sleep. And I think it's the same Mm. thing. It's while you, while you have all those questions and all those fears reverberating around your head they've got nowhere to go but as soon as you can find a safe place to let them literally leave your body mm. in what as in words you're getting a relief just from like letting it out I mean it's it, sometimes I think about the really oldest proverbs rings so true that a problem shared is a problem halved is yeah. so true do you know yeah. what I mean so true isn't it <laughs> yeah. yeah and yet we forget because we're all on social media we're all kind of yeah we're we're not we're losing spaces, not our capacity, but we're losing spaces in which to have really genuine connections. And I think one reason why podcasting is so popular, people feel mm. included in the conversation, mm. even listening to two humans sharing about their experiences can have, a, can be helpful and soothing for someone who's having a similar experience. Mm. I, yeah, think so. I think that so. I we, think we
1: said, didn't we, when you, because Mandy sort of asked me if I wanted to do the podcast and and I'd never really thought about it. I'm so grateful that you did, Mandy. I can't imagine what we'd be—I'd do- be doing without. Um, but, and I remember <laughs> no, but thinking about it. Absolutely, it.
0: that for me. I mean, i, I started, um, you know, I'd—I'd I'd kind of, you know, I'd stopped drinking for a year, and then I'd gone back to drinking moderately, you know, because I wanted to be the chic French woman. This was what I was going to achieve. Uh, so I was going backwards and forwards, and I was getting more and more depressed. You know, my kind of mental health was suffering more and more. hadn't made the connection. Uh, and so i was I came to podcast through a kind of mental health aspect, and I started listening to Gretchen Rubin um, mm-hmm. happier. And there yeah, it was something about that intimacy of just listening mm-hmm. to a conversation. So it's her and her sister um talking, and then they have these kind of life hacks at the end of the podcast of just like little things to make you feel happier. Mm-hmm. It's and nice. it was like right put something you know practical like make your bed I mean I make my bed every day since mm. that and it was those things when you're in depression you know like that that had a, a an effect on my mental health that was like I I'm, can do this and I'm gonna make my bed and I'm gonna do that every day and and I yeah I mean I'm I love podcasts I, I listen to them all the time but and also because I I spend a lot of time alone. Like my husband works away in the week. Um, I live in another country. You know, that was Mm. another part of my drinking that I was very lonely Mm. and, you know, having kids and et cetera. And that thing of sort of having people in your space to listen to is, Mm. is massively comforting, you know?
1: Yeah.
0: So, yeah. Um, All right. So I think we're coming to the end. Uh, We always finish with um, a tip of the day and your reason to love sober. So, um, what would be your tip of the day
2: oh tip of the day um in terms of sobriety or like just in general whatever whatever comes to mind yeah that, yeah because
1: sort of... I always say sober tools are life tools so you know if it's a... one of I, the one that's coming up yeah. it probably is because I'm a bit hungry
2: it's like I like so many women if I've, disordered eating at different mm. points in my life <laughs> and distorted mm. body image all of that stuff and something that's really helped me in my sobriety was sort of saying while it whilst particularly in the early stages eat whatever the fuck you want and make sure you really enjoy it mm. and it brought me so much pleasure just eat like taking all the rules off the food yeah. and being like i'm just going to eat whatever i want you know and just really enjoy it Mm. and i don't know i kind of have carried that philosophy on i eat dessert all the time i eat all the carbs all the time and it feels and i love it you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. which is not I the same that. i say this in the mm. book i'm like this is not the same as like eating your feelings um <laughs> i've never really been a kind of emotional overeater so i guess it's easier for me to say that but it's like this is not the same as eating your feelings please commit to only feeling those but really, like, the pleasure, yes. from, the pleasure I take from food now is mm. enhanced. And it goes out to anyone who's sort of thinking, oh, but a glass of wine with dinner, like a, gl- a nice glass of wine with a fancy meal. For me now, wine would only detract from the deliciousness of the food <laughs> because it will just kind of it'll yeah. change the way the food tastes. Mm. You can't enjoy dessert if you're drinking wine, really. So I'm like, yeah. And I would never have dessert yeah, because I was that. drinking wine. So yeah, I'd, I'd yeah. no, or or like, like oh, an
0: espresso no.
2: martini or an mm. Irish coffee would yeah. be dessert, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's what
1: it's like. What Polly Vernon called drinkorexia. Do you remember? Yeah. and it was like so, how hey. I thought that was genius. I think I uh, like a whole nation of women uh, nodded their heads, and maybe more, you know. So true how mm. how mean we've been to eat ourselves over exactly, food exactly. to have exactly. the calories in the wine. And I, I totally agree with that. I was just like... I delved into food in a way that I had never done before when I stopped drinking because I was like, I can eat whatever I like. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yay! And, and I'm really noticing so a too. lot of and also, sugar cravings. But yeah, my, I will sure. also say my sugar cravings have completely evened out yeah, now. It's not nice. like I get crazy yeah, sugar same. cravings, but when I do, I
1: have sugar and yeah. I really enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, high five, to you. I agree with that one hundred percent. Yeah. So,
0: what's, what's your, your reason, reason to
2: love
1: sober? oh my
2: reason to love sober today oh what's not to love I mean really (laughs) honestly people often ask me because I'm you know they say to me are you sober then are you sober and I'm like well I'm not sober and I don't drink alcohol because for me the word sober (laughs) has got connotations with recovery and I'm and I'm not claiming that for myself and I'm not sober and I don't drink alcohol but honestly like so when would you have a drink then? When would you have a, like let yourself have a drink? I'm like, oh, it's not a question of when would I let myself have a drink. I have no desire or need for alcohol mm. in my life. I've come to a point mm. where it just doesn't bring me anything. So really, what is not what is not to love about mm. not drinking? You know? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah. I love I love it all.
1: Yeah, the fabulous. the quote
2: unquote hard times and the happy times. Like all I love it all because all of it feels like it is mine. Like 100% mine. Oh,
1: lovely. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for talking to us, Ruby. <laughs> it's fantastic. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Oh, just quickly before you go though, if you've got any projects coming up that you'd like to mention.
2: Um, well yes, you mentioned in the beginning my the paperback edition in the US anyway of Material Girl Mystical World, my first book is gonna be out in August. And I'm also launching something called the Numinous Astro Deck, going back to that magic piece for anybody who's intrigued by astrology. The Numinous Astro deck is a beautiful, fully illustrated card deck that, um, that yeah, helps you to learn how to read a birth chart and interpret astrology. Ooh. So that's coming out in this month. And I'm also really hoping before, at some point in the next 12 months, to do a retreat in the UK. I do lead retreats all over the world. Um, I did my first Sober Curious retreat in February this year, which was so great. So I really want to bring one to the UK at mm. some point.
1: Yeah. Oh, that Watch would be space. amazing i know yes. yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank you so much it's been lovely to speak with you today. yeah, yeah. Been brilliant Me great meeting you mm-hmm. so if you're immediately concerned about your drinking please do reach out um contact your, your gp or doctor um so has a confidential ask the doctor service sorry about that noise outside that's my son skateboarding down the road does that really matter? <laughs> um you can know, go to alcohol change for uh, that used to be alcohol concern for agencies of local support in your area but as we always say you know it will drop us a line reach out you know to a community because you you know you don't have to be alone there's lots of us out there now so get in touch okay bye